This broadcast is part of the IC Robots Radio Network. Visit icrobots.com for this and many other nerd slash nostalgia related podcasts. You won't be sorry for long. Report, recorded live on Jupiter's third largest moon, Callisto. He'll rise, surprise, and I advise you all to stand back and peep, don't sleep or doubt. He's skill or get ill, he turns the mother out. He's your host, Icy Robots. Greetings, Earth people. I am from Jupiter. It is me again, Icy Robots. I am not a hero, but I do sacrifice a bit of my week each and every week to make your week a bit less weak. And this week, dudes, it's going to get so much less weak because we got a great... Great episode ahead of us. We got a top five list where we are going to take a look at the best, the best of all the Simpsons supporting characters. We got all kinds of fun stuff. We got, well, we got a new song. Let me, um, let me poke around here on the hard drive and dig it out. All right, here we go and hit it. Cone now, want a lick? You are listening to the Toys R Us report. To hell with your parade day rain. We're a tsunami of sunshine coming your way. That was, that was a lot of fun. That is, that was sent to us from Engineer Emily and the Ensign over in Pod B. They, they use the, the recording booth that I am in right now a lot when, when I'm not there, they like to make all kinds of jams. I don't, I don't know where they get, where they get some of their ideas from. Well, I guess I do. That is from Flavor of the Month by Black Sheep. The, the lyrics, and then of course the loop is the famous, famous uh, Melvin Bliss drum loop. That was a lot of fun, though. I really enjoyed that, and I want to give them a big up for making that. We. We have some sad news, and by the time you hear this, it will have it will have been a while. But we had already gone to press when when I heard this. But as sad as I am to say it, Adam West has passed away. He was 88 years old. Adam West is, of course, known for for playing Batman. He was he was the Batman of our youth. If you are anywhere near my age, I'm in my in my 40s and I grew up on the old Batman show where he played he played Bats and we had Burt Ward as Robin that was that was my first introduction to superheroes in that form and I loved it I used to watch it every single day back in back in issue episode I mean number 63 I did a list of the of the top 5 actors to ever play Batman and I'm sad to say that I I put Mr. West at number 5 and ever since that came out I regretted it. I put Michael Keaton in front of him. I put Christian Bale in front of him and 
I regret it. I am going to... I'm going to posthumously bump him up to, to uh, third. Number one, I had Kevin Conroy. And number two, I have Will Arnett. I am not taking that back. I think the Lego Batman was the greatest Batman movie that there ever was outside of The Dark Knight. It was terrific. I think that Will Arnett grabbed the spirit of Batman. But one has to say that he grabbed the spirit of Batman that Adam West laid out for us. He had... This amazing ability to say the silliest lines in a straight face and the gravitas that his voice brought. Here, take my bat radio. I looked it up this morning. That class of missile receives on a wavelength of 164.1. It was noble of that animal to hurl himself into the path of that final torpedo. He gave his life for ours. Batman to Coast Guard. Batman to Coast Guard. There is a drifting submarine two miles east of Sandy Nose Lightship. It's filled with human jetsam. They may be drinkers, Robin, but they're also human beings. It's a low neighborhood full of rum pots. They're used to curious sights, which they attribute to alcoholic delusions. Rum pots. That's a word we don't use enough nowadays. I think I just call them drunks for the most part. But... The the gravitas of his voice and the way that he delivered things made these silly situations not seem serious, but seem important. That was, that was Adam West's greatest gift. This guy was, he was a national treasure and he will surely be missed. One of, one of the things that was great about Adam West was he really embraced being this character. He embraced being Batman. A lot of people will, they'll turn their back on these roles that made him famous, but Adam West was smart enough to know that people like him as Batman, so just give him the Batman. And in doing so, he made legions of people happy over the years at autograph shows and things. From what I understand, dude was... Dude was more than willing to sign autographs and be polite and to do all sorts of extra things that other people wouldn't. For example, I heard that he was more than happy to record people's answering machine messages in in the voice of the bat. One of my unfulfilled ambitions was to encounter him at some sort of an autograph show and to get him to record a drop saying that he listened to the good old Toys R Us report, but... I was, I was never able to make that come true, and that makes me sad. This whole thing makes me sad. It's sad to see the people that made our younger years so enjoyable pass on, but Adam West is a legend, and everybody knows that he is a legend, and as such, he never will truly die. He has a toy line out right now. I believe that... Is it Super 7? I don't think so. I think it's Entertainment Earth that's putting out a series of the 60s Batman. I'm really looking forward to getting myself and Yvonne Craig as well as a Catwoman. But I'll tell you what, there are some great Adam West pieces in that. I was over at the Toys R Us the other day and I saw a a Bat Cave that came dipped out with all kinds of neat control panels and stuff. And Adam West himself. It's really... Really a neat toy, so in many ways he is, he's going to keep going on and he's going to keep being with us, but it's sad to see him go and with much heaviness in my heart, I have to say, Adam West, they reminisce over you.
in a moment at the movies without Ebert, Siskel or even that dude Roper. But you got Icy Robot, so that's something, right? Stays locked. Oh my god, you scared me. Sorry. Closed and locked all the time. Closed and locked all the time. We went to see It Comes at Night on a Monday morning. It was us and surprisingly four other groups of people in in the theater which isn't like super surprising because it's summer and people are out but none of them seem to be teenagers they all seem to be normal aged people like like you and I the the movie is a horror film which always has like its own distinct audience i really firmly believe that there are people who only come out to see a horror movie, and that's cool. The genre has some hardcore aficionados. I, I myself am not necessarily one of them, but I do, I do enjoy a high-end sort of horror film, and this is that. It Comes at Night is the story of an, an airborne pathogen that has seemingly wiped out a large, if not majority of the people uh, in the country, we don't know how far it spans, so I'm only going to say in the United States, and the tale follows a family that is that is surviving on its own out in the deep woods when, when they encounter another person. They haven't seen another survivor in who knows how long, and they, well, he invades their home. He sneaks in, and he goes on you know, a little little robbing spree when they capture him and question him about, you know, what he knows, what goes on. And this isn't, this isn't giving away too much of the plot. This is all in the trailers. So I don't want you to think I'm spoiling you, but it turns out the dude has a family and the family comes and they move in with the main story family in the cabin. And it is a really tense, very dreary, very... Very horrific tale. The ending is, it's absolutely shocking. And it's one that's gonna, it's gonna stick with you for a while. If you are the soft at heart, and I can definitely appreciate people with a soft, kind heart, this might not be the thing for you. It is similar in tone to The Road, which was an excellent movie, but a movie that... I never ever wanted to see again. And this is this is very much like that. The the joint stars Joel Edgerton, who is he's the more sincere Jeremy Renner, I think is is the best way to describe him. You've seen him in a few things. He was in Warrior. He was in he was in Loving last year with uh what's her face from Preacher. This is Engineer. Emily with a post show editing note. Her name is Ruth Negger, and it's totally weird that he forgot that. He loves her. End of note. Emily out. Who, uh, who I dig so much. He was in that. He, he's a very good actor, and he pulls out a very good performance as, as the father, as the head of the family that 
He's going to do whatever it takes for him and his family to survive. And some of the things it takes are not pleasant. Let's, uh, let's hop on over to Tomatoes and we will see, we will see what is up. The movie made, it appears to be 5 million in opening weekend box office, which isn't bad. It's almost six. It runs at a super tight 91 minutes. It's, it's over before you know it. There's not a wasted second. It still, it stars, uh, Joel. Riley Coe, I don't know if that's how, how you pronounce it, Carmen, uh, Ejojo, E-J-O-G-O, Coe is spelled K-E-O-U-G-H, I'm not sure on that, and then another chap that goes by the name of Christopher Abbott, who I was informed was from Vampire Diaries, which I have seen once or twice, but it's not by choice, as of... As of right now, the movie has a pretty interesting tomato rating. It is 86% with the critics, but just half of that, 43% with the people. I think that it might be that it might be the movie and the the surrounding ad campaign are a little a bit confusing. When we came out, one of the dudes who who I saw mingling in the lobby for a second said that movie was stupid. Where were the zombies? And to some degree, you are you are led to believe that that's not true. You are not led to believe anything. It's not misleading in any way, but you do see some images that one could interpret to think this is a zombie movie. And whether the outbreak turns you into zombie or just kills you dead is not is not shown in the movie. People do pass, but they are shown mercy before achieving the final death state. So we don't we don't know if the mercy is being shown to just, you know, put them out of their misery or if it's to prevent them from arising like the undead. And there are a few times when when the crew's in the woods chopping things and they they hear a ruckus and they don't they don't say I wonder who that is. They say always, like, I wonder what it is. And from what you can see, the pathogen is also killing animals. So they're not sort of saying, what is that? Is that a wolf? They are, it uh, kind of came across to me that there could be zombies of some sort out there in the world, or maybe the, maybe the virus drives you to some sort of madness. I don't know, but you don't see that in the movie. And I can see how that could be a bit annoying to, you know, just, Somebody who was expecting to see that and instead gets a very, very dreary, very dark movie, much like The Road. I myself, I liked it though. I liked how the movie is, it's presented like you're just, you're watching events. They don't, they don't go out of their way to explain what's happening, what's going on in the larger world or just what's going on with anything. You just, you have to observe it. And figure out for yourself what's happening. And you have to try to figure out where things are going. And they go to they go to some very dark places. This isn't one that you're going to have to rush out to the movie theater and see. It is, it is quite good. But I think that it would play just as well on Netflix or on, on VHS or Laserdisc, Beta. Any of the preferred formats of the day. It is... It is well shot and it's very well put together. This is 
This is one of those movies that really gets a lot out of a little. They spend a lot of time in the cabin, and the times they're not in the cabin, they're they're just walking around in the woods. This movie could have been so inexpensive to shoot, but it has real-life tension and real-life fear and real-life horror. It, it really, really gets a lot out of a little, and... Because of that, I am going to give it on the good old Source Magazine mic meter with one being totally whack and five being an all-time classic. I'm going to give it a good solid three, three mics. mics. Three mics. Iceberg Pier. Kick the ballistics. Automobiles, motorcycles, and bicycles must meet all visibility standards if driven at night. It's important for pedestrians to be seen. A public service message from AAA and Channel 4. Buckle your safety bell and get ready. It's the official YC Robots Radio. The top five supporting characters on The Simpsons of the times the simpsons is one of the greatest tv shows of all times that is that is an undebatable topic it's not it's not the best show on tv right now and it hasn't been a great show for for many years but in the early days the show was the show was hilarious it was groundbreaking and one of the things that made it so tremendous was its giant ensemble cast of characters. You had, of course, the Simpsons family themselves, but then there were just dozens of side characters floating around who were all capable of taking their own episodes and running with them at a time. And today, here on the IC Robots Radio Toys R Us Report Top 5 list, we are going to take a look at some of these wonderful characters that exist out there in the Simpsons universe. It's going to be fun. It's going to be, it's going to be controversial. It will not, not be free of debate. If you, if you disagree with any of the things you're about to hear, hit me up on Twitter at IC Robots and we can, we can talk about it. It'll be great. So I don't know what else there is to say. Let's get a look at, a listen rather, at the top five supporting Simpsons characters of all the times. Let me find the clip and here we go. Number five. means your hair so technically it's true that's what makes it so funny pardon me a moment hey nelson he's really hurt i think he broke his leg i said ha ha number five on the list is it's the town bully his name is his name is nelson munson and nelson is he is an archetype that we have all had in our life at one time or another. We've all we've all suffered from bullies. I actually have a this boring life idea for a show about bullies because we've all faced it. It's something it's something we can all sympathize with. If we didn't face it, it may mean that we were the bully. So then 
we can also feel it from a different direction. Nelson is, he is slow-witted and violent, and he's mean, but as the show progresses, you, you get to dip into Nelson's background, and like many bullies of our youth, you discover that Nelson had a very poor upbringing. His father, his father ran out on him. One day he went to get a pack of cigarettes, he never came back. Nelson's mom was a low-quality stripper, and when we were faced with these bullies back in school, it did often turn out that these dudes had terrible upbringings. They had absentee parents. They were economically challenged, you know, poor or whatever. And they took all these things and they took them out on you. And Nelson is very much like that. And it gives the character a a depth and a quality that I definitely do appreciate. Let's see what we can learn about Nelson really quick. He was introduced in season one's episode, Bart the General, which is... That's a classic episode where Nelson and his posse are, they're bullying dudes hard and Bart gathers all the kids in the neighborhood together and they, they attack Nelson and they, they come to an armistice. It was, it was something we all wished that we could have done. He is voiced by Nancy Cartwright. I like it in voice work how a lot of times young boys are are voiced by girls. I, I don't know, man. I just, I, I think that's funny. And it is something that seems to happen all the time. Over time, Nelson becomes more of, more of a friendly character, which is, which is often what happens when a character is introduced as a villain. It seems as if after a few seasons, they do, they do eventually team up with the hero. And that's what Nelson does. And at one point, he actually dates Lisa. He's very friendly with Bart, which, which is weird and kind of interesting. I don't think that I ever became friends with any of my bullies. There were bullies that I eventually came to an armistice with, but I wouldn't say that there were any that I became, that I became friendly with, but I could, I could see how that could happen. Nelson's dad kind of pops up every once in a while. There's an episode where Nelson is a football player and the dude is like, he's top notch. He single-handedly carries the team to victory after victory and in doing so, he somehow somehow gets the attention of his father who comes back into the scene for a while. It's all the sadder, really, because it's almost like if you don't have a father, it would be better off to never have a father than it would be to have a father who kind of pops up and pops in and pops out. That would that would be depressing. It would be sad because you would feel the loss every single time. And I imagine, I imagine that's something that Nelson carries with him. Nelson, Nelson is probably most famous for his... For his signature laugh <laughs> that, well, I'm sure at one time or another, especially back when the Simpsons were popular, we all, we all gave a good <laughs> to somebody who, for example, fell off their bike. I remember one time I was rolling into the bike rack in the morning at school. The cool thing to do was like, you would kind of step your foot over so that your entire body was on one pedal, you know, both feet were on one pedal and you'd kind of glide the cool guys, as they approached the bike rack, would, like, step over onto the one pedal and, you know, you have your handlebars, you're steering, and they would kind of glide into the bike rack and just step off the one pedal and look all cool. And one day, I I went to give that a shot, and as my as my leg came over, I just fell. I was never the most coordinated dude. I, I did have some athletic qualities in certain areas, but hand-eye coordination was not one of them, and I just fell right on the ground, and I was greeted... With a chorus of <laughs> after, <laughs> and that just goes to show you, man. Nelson was pretty popular. Let's uh, 
Let's move ahead and we will see who is numero a quattrizo. Ha ha! Number four. Oh, sucking down the cider, huh? Hey, word to the wags. Season pass. Pays for itself after the 16th visit. You know, most people don't know the difference between apple cider and apple juice, but I do. Now, here's a little trick to help you remember. If it's clear and yellow, you've got juice there, fella. If it's tangy and brown, you're in cider town. And, of course, in Canada, the whole thing's flip-flop. Oh, my. I better get you some cider. Number four on the list is is good old Ned Flanders. Ned is the head of the Flanders clan. They live directly next door to Homer, and despite being the nicest, most considerate people in the world, Homer absolutely hates Ned. Ned is a... Ned is a super Christian, and he is... He's a heck of a nice guy who adds Italy and diddly to the end of many of the words in his vocabulary. He appeared in episode one of The Simpsons. Not the old... Tracy Ullman Simpsons. I'm talking The Simpsons Show. He is as OG as they come. One of the things that makes Ned such a great character is that he leads a life that we could all look up to. He is active in the community. He is a good father. He is a good husband. He is just a good, generous person, and he leads a life that we could all Take an example from, he is a virtuous guy and he reaps the rewards of a virtuous guy. He is very nice. He is very intelligent. He is in phenomenal shape. Good things happen to him. He has a quality of life that is above that of the Simpsons. And that is something that, that's something that really drives Homer nuts. But it's, it's all karma. If you look at Homer, Homer is a terrible dude. He is... He is the worst. I couldn't imagine how bad it would be living next door to Homer. And his his life is on par with what you would expect. And then when you look at Ned, Ned's life is on par for what you could expect. But there is a darkness and there is a sadness to Ned's life. Over over the course of the show, he has, he has lost two wives. He lost his first wife, Maud, in a baseball t-shirt cannon accident and then he lost a second wife when school teacher Edna Krabappel who who he was married to for a bit passed away when the actress who voiced her Marsha Wallace passed away at the at the age of 70 in his early life Ned sold pharmaceuticals but he he was very thrifty with his earnings and he saved up enough that he opened his own business called the called the Leftorium where he sells he sells products to left-handed people. He himself being being left-handed, he has he has two children, Rod and Todd. Rod and Todd are they are the best. And if you take Ned and you put them together and you consider them a trio, they would definitely be the CMLL trios champs. They are they are terrific. At one point it is revealed that Ned is actually 60 years old and that's another thing you have to look at when you consider how how successful of a human being Ned Flanders is. He he attributes his age to, well, what I mean to say is he attributes his uh, great appearance at his age to the three C's. Clean living, chewing thoroughly, and a daily dose of vitamin church. I, I think that's not a bad way to look at things. I don't know. I don't necessarily do that myself. But the three C's will probably leave you a better looking 
60-year-old man than a lot of things. Ned is from New York City, and his parents were... They were total beatniks. His dad wore a beret, had a mustache, looked exactly like Ned, but talked a lot like a uh, Dobie Gillis character. So you can see where Ned turned completely opposite them, and he went to Oral Roberts University, and there you have it. There you have today's Ned. Ned is such, such a nice guy and such a cool character. There have been so many entertaining moments based around Ned Flanders that I have no problem with putting him on this list. It's surprising that he wasn't he wasn't higher, but that just that just goes to show you the competition. Let's scoop one ahead here and see what uh what we got next. Number three. Well, it's time to pick up where I left off. As a no good street punk. Principal Skinner? Up yours, children. Number three on the list is Principal Seymour Skinner. Let's read let's read the quick Wikipedia intro to the character of Principal Skinner because I think that I think that it explains him pretty well. Principal Seymour Skinner is a fictional character in the American animated sitcom The Simpsons. He was voiced by Harry Shearer, who also did Ned Flanders on a side note. He is the principal of Springfield Elementary School, which he often struggles to control and is constantly engaged in a battle against inadequate resources, apathetic and bitter teachers, and often rowdy and unenthusiastic students. Bart Simpson being a standout example. A strict disciplinarian, Skinner has an uptight militaristic attitude that stems from his years in the United States Army as a Green Beret, which included service in the Vietnam War, where he was captured and held as a prisoner. He is quick to take orders from his superior, chiefly his mother Agnes and Superintendent Chalmers. Skinner! Skinner! The way that dude says Skinner is almost as famous as Skinner himself. It's an integral part of the character. Skinner is... Skinner is so great. He he was such a war hero, and he's a dude a dude that is deserved of respect, but he's never going to get it because he's an elementary school principal, which is very taxing, and it is a position that should be respected, but in the grand scheme of things, when you're a kid and you're in school, you have absolutely zippo respect for the boss man. Bart and Skinner are going at it. They're going at it constantly, and it's not only Bart. He has he has such problems with his mother. His mother Agnes just dominates his life. He is he's constantly taking care of her, and that is definitely what a son should be doing. You should be taking care of your elderly mom, but she is she's quite capable on her own. She is not quite a green beret, but she is up to up to snuff to get through life. She just she just likes having Seymour around and it stops Seymour from dating and from having a social life. And that just adds to adds to the tragicness of Seymour's life. Another thing that is super interesting about Seymour Skinner is that he is much like Dick Whitman on Mad Men leading a double life. The story of that goes, it goes a little something like this. This was a season eight episode, I believe, and... More or less, what happens is Seymour is, he's a young, tough street punk from Capital City who enlists in the war and he goes off to Vietnam where he is taught 
taught the right way to live and taught discipline by Sergeant Seymour Skinner, who was in charge of of the troops. And when Seymour goes missing in the war, Armin Tanzarian, that is, that's Seymour Skinner's real name, the Principal Seymour Skinner's real name, goes back to back to Springfield to tell his, the real Seymour Skinner's mother what happened to her son. But when she, when he goes there, she mistakes him for her own son and he just falls into the role and becomes Principal Seymour Skinner. Well, first he becomes Seymour Skinner and eventually he works his way up to Principal Seymour Skinner, more or less, what do I say more or less? Exactly stealing the life of the real Seymour Skinner who uh, eventually turns up and he comes back to Springfield and he gets his life back, which which drives Seymour Skinner back into being a no-good street punk. But the new Principal Skinner turns out to be just like super whack, super mean, and super unpopular. So the town decides to get rid of him and a judge in Springfield gives Armin Tanzarian the right future past, present, and mother of the real Principal Seymour Skinner. Totally wacky, totally weird stuff, and at the time it was completely controversial, but I thought that it was pretty neat, and I wonder if when they came up with the idea of the character of Don Draper on Mad Men, if in some way this was influential in the story. Principal Skinner is also another Simpsons OG. He he appeared in episode number one of the show. Dude has been around been around and will continue to be around as the show moves forward, which we are, we're going to do right now, and we are going to take a look at who is the number two Simpsons character, side Simpsons supporting character of all of the times. Number two. It's not me, I swear. I'm only allergic to honey, wheat, dairy, non-dairy, and my own tears. <laughs> Number two on the list, and I have to be honest, I I went back and forth on this many times. The one and two just flip-flopped before I finally settled on this. Number two is Milhouse Van Houten. Milhouse is Bart's best friend, basically due to geographical location. Milhouse is... I don't like to, uh, I don't like to use mean words like this, but he is a total neo-maxi zoomed weeby, but that's what gives him his charm. He has thick glasses without which he cannot see a thing, giant eyebrows, divorced parents, and just the worst luck and allergies of anybody that you can't imagine. We've all known or have been ourselves. A Millhouse at many times. Millhouse is, he's another OG. He appeared in the very first episode. He is, for the most part, super loyal to Bart, but there has been times when he's gone for Dolo. For example, there was an episode where Bart sold his soul to Millhouse for $5, and in return, Millhouse demands $50. That's a 10 times return. That is... That's a great flip. Millhouse did. Millhouse did a good one. The creator of The Simpsons, Matt Groening, has said that Millhouse is named after Richard Millhouse Nixon. On the show, at one time, it is revealed that Millhouse's Millhouse's middle name is Mussolini. So he's Millhouse 
Mussolini Van Houten. His dad is Kurt Van Houten, and he is what Millhouse will probably be in the future, and it's it's sad to see that one episode they uh, show Milhouse getting shaved bald, and he looks almost exactly like his dad. His his mom fares a bit better in the divorce. She she dates around and seems to have just like an overall happy attitude, but his dad Kurt is just not doing as well. Even though he did at one time record a record with with the amazing name of Can I Borrow a Feeling. Can I borrow a feeling? Could you lend me a jar of love? Hurting hearts need some healing. Take my hand with your glove of love. It's one of my faves. Millhouse was originally designed for a Butterfinger commercial. But he did make his way onto the show. His look was based on Rob Cohen, who is one of the Simpsons writers. Milhouse is, he's just, we all have more Milhouse in us than Bart, I imagine. And that's what, that's what makes him such a, just such a relatable character. And much like many of the other great Simpsons characters, he is—he's a tragic figure. When you look at Skinner and you look at look at Ned and you look at just Nelson Munst or anybody else on the Simpsons, they have all of these tragic things that happen in their lives that lead them to be the people that they are. And that is—that's the way it is in real life too, man. Are our tragedies make us who we are, and Milhouse's allergies, glasses, eyebrows, divorced parents, and just everything else makes him who he is. It makes him who we love. Let's let's find out who is the numero uno character on The Simpsons that is not, in fact, last named Simpson. You've made it this far. It's time. The number one, The Simpsons. Supporting character of all the times. Now, let's give a big Junior Retrievers welcome to our guest speaker. I know he can teach us a lot about business, Mr. C. Montgomery Burns. I'll keep it short and sweet. Family, religion, friendship. These are the three demons you must slay if you wish to succeed in business. When opportunity knocks, you don't want to be driving to the maternity hospital or sitting in some phony baloney church. Or synagogue. Questions? And there you have it. The number one non-Simpsons, Simpsons character of all the times, if you are asking me. And in some ways, by downloading this episode, you are in fact asking me, is C. Montgomery Burns, the evil billionaire who runs the power plant that Homer works at, and in a lot of ways, runs the entirety of Springfield. Mr. Burns is something like 1,000 years old. He is haggard and beat up, and he has a face like a vulture. He is always attended to by his right man, right-hand man, Waylon Smithers, and he has a bunch of hounds, which he is known to release on people. Montgomery Burns appeared again in episode number one of 
of The Simpsons, which goes to show you the long-term value of these characters that they that they invented. It's almost like Archie comics, the first appearance of Archie in Pep number whatever. You got like Jughead. You got like Betty. You got like Veronica. You got all these guys in the same issue. It is much like The Simpsons where they jumped out right at the gate with so many characters with so much long-lasting value. Mr. Burns was originally voiced by Christopher Collins, but he was later voiced by Harry Shearer. Harry Shearer is like, he's like the MVP of The Simpsons. He does so many different voices. His gender is, of course, male. He has a father, Colonel Clifford Burns, and a sibling, George Burns. Do you remember when George Burns was like, he was like a big deal. Those Oh God movies were seemingly on cable all the time, and I realize George Burns has passed away, but I never hear mention of Dude when... He seemed like such a big deal at the time. Mr. Burns spends all of his time in his office behind his desk where he where he makes plans of uh, different ways to control different things. His net worth is somewhere around $7 million, And at one time, TV Guide named him the number two on the all-time nastiest villains. And Rolling Stone ranked him number eight on the greatest TV villains of all the time. And what do you know? The good old Toys R Us report names him the number two overall Simpsons supporting character of all the times, villainy or uh, not villainy. I, I really enjoy Mr. Burns. He has, he has the power to contain his own episodes, and he has done so quite a few times. One of my favorites is the one where he and he and Homer team up and they go to Cuba and they accidentally give the trillion dollar bill to Fidel Castro. I love. I love Mr. Burns's old-timey references. It's really funny to me, the just these things that he mentions, like Negro League baseball players and old-timey entertainers. I, I love Mr. Burns. I just cannot get enough of this guy. Mr. Burns was also... He was also one of the lead dudes in the famous Who Shot Mr. Burns deal. Remember that? The, the season ended on a cliffhanger, and... We waited the entire off-season to find out who, in fact, did shoot Mr. Burns. I remember there were, like, little teasers and little trailers during the during the whole off-season before we found out that, in fact, he was shot by... He was shot by Maggie. What are you going to do? I don't see a way they could have gotten out of that. It wasn't as if they could have had Homer shoot him or Bart. There's no way to get around the fact that they are now involved in the shooting of a major figure in town, so... As much as it was disappointing, it was also, they kind of painted themselves into a corner. But this does not take away from the fact that Mr. Burns is the greatest Simpsons character, not last name Simpsons. He is one of the best villains, one of the coolest characters, one of the most fun guys to pay attention to in all of TV. I love Mr. Burns. I always have. I've always thought of Dude is the best. But there was a period of time when I was putting this together where I really weighed Milhouse in this role, but in the end, it was all too obvious. But uh, there are so many other good characters. Let's let's take a quick uh, moment here and shout some of them out. You got like Disco Stew, Lenny and Carl, Mo Sizlak. You got Doctor Nick. You got. Maybe on the Jills, Nick. So many good characters. You got Dr. Hibbard. You got Krusty the Clown, Sideshow Bob. There are just 
you got Patty and Selma, you got the blue-haired lawyer guy, you got Frank, Grimy Grimes, you got Gil, you got the Bumblebee Man. There is like Fat Tony, the comic book guy, Apu, Reverend and Mrs. Lovejoy, Rainier Wolfcastle. Don't forget like Luann Van Houten and Chief Ralph Wiggums, Mr. Teeny. There is also the Squealer guy. There are so many great characters in The Simpsons. Let's give it up for all of them. drop by supportthereport.com and consider becoming a show patron for as low as a measly dollar a month. It's the right thing to do. You've made it this far. It's time. The final segment. The Icy Robots Radio Pop Culture slash Toy News slash Other Boring Stuff Informational Moment. All right, we are back for the final segment of the show. That Simpsons list was kind of fun. I had a good time doing that. I still watch The Simpsons each and every week, and I might not enjoy it each and every week, but it is it is a part of my life, and it has been a part of my life for a very, very long time. Earlier in the show, I was talking about, this was during the the Adam West T-R-O-Y segment, which was, which was quite sad because... Dude was 88 years old, and that is that is a very successful run, but he was still out there doing creative, cool work, so it's sad that he's not going to be able to complete that, and we are not going to be able to hear the things that he was he was working on, but at, at any rate, I mentioned there was some Batman 60-whatever action figures, and I... I couldn't come out and figure who was making him. I think that I, I predicted Super 7 or maybe Entertainment Earth. It is, in fact, Funko. And I know this. I know this because our guy, our guy Earl Green from thelogbook.com, which I highly recommend, wrote a nice article about the about the figures and how how they are great and how they are dope and how we all cannot wait for them to for them to drop. So I wanna thank Earl Green for that. He he really uh hipped me up to it. The the flea market this past week was, it was pretty fun. We have two flea markets. Well, we have three. We have three overall flea markets. There is the Mojo Sales, and then there is also the Migley's Flea Market in Sebastopol, which is, which is the next town over when you're heading toward the sea. That's, uh, that's one we've been going to a lot more lately, and I, I really like. But then there is a third one called the 40 and 8. The 40 and 8 is put on by, it's put on by the veterans group of our, of Sonoma County area, and it is in the same parking lot as the, as the Mojo sales. As a matter of fact, the 48 was going on for many moons before the Mojo sales came about, but the 40 and 8 only goes, I'm going to say, four times a year during the summer. All the money goes to support a nursing program at the junior college, and they really draw a higher-end vendor than the 40 and 8. I myself... When we go out to the flea market, I prefer to sell at a 40 and 8. I think that I think that more people are willing to drop money there than they are at a Mojo Sales. But Mojo Sales is every week and I cannot I cannot knock it because it's always fun and I find good stuff and I have a good time. It's well run, well organized, but I myself am a 40 and 8 guy. And this was this was actually the second 40 and 8 of the year. I missed the first one. It came during my 
lingering illness, so I was, like, super duper happy to go to this one, and I had a good time. I came home with some fun stuff. I actually found a Sergeant Rock Rimco guy, which I I can't recall the last time I've seen one. What what really uh, grabbed me on this is I was looking at this guy, and I said, you know, this this looks like one of those Sergeant Rocks I was talking about the other week, and then I flipped him over, and... They have, like, these three-dimensional loops on the back of their bodies that you can use to stick their knife or their shovel down. And I saw these loops, and I read the fine print, and I'm like, this is a Sergeant Rock. I was I was pretty stoked. It was the camouflage version of Raider. He wears a beret, camouflage beret, and he has a camouflage suit, and... Of course, he didn't come with the gun or the shovel or the knife or anything, but he's still, still pretty cool to find one so soon after I was talking about it. I also found an Empire Strikes Back story record. It's not a, it's not a Peter Pan or a Power record, but it is, it is still pretty fun. And I found an issue of Wrestling Review from 1975. It has Pedro Morales on the cover. There are some terrific ads in this. I, I really like this. There is also a comic. They had, they had a monthly comic called The Patriot, which was, which was the story of a masked wrestler who is, his his father was also a wrestler, and his father was killed in the ring by some evil Nazi wrestler. And this kid growing up became determined to one day enter the ranks of professional wrestling. And when he got there, he was going to find the dude who killed his dad. This guy, this guy went on the lamb, and then he returned, and nobody was sure what his new new identity was. So he was gonna. He's going to try to uncover who this this masked Nazi was and then kill him, I guess. I'm not sure. I've I've only read the one. A lot of this is just me kind of trying to figure things out. It was fun, though, and I would be curious to see some more issues of The Patriot. There's not enough, there's not enough wrestling comics out there, if you ask me. Let's see. While, while still on the topic of comics, Archie is doing... They're doing like a big event. Archie does not do a lot of events. And when they do, they are pretty big. For example, the death of Archie or Archie gets married or the whole introduction of Kevin Keller, the the first gay character in Riverdale. When they do them, they they do tend to be pretty big. And this one, this one promises the, the well, the death of a character, if not maybe a injury. What's going on is that Reggie has goaded Archie into a drag race, a race for the pinks or for the the ownership of the car. And this is this is really like a good situation for Reggie because Archie is not known for a good driver. And while he does have a really dope Mustang that he and Betty worked on, Betty is the better driver, should be racing in the race. The race, the race shouldn't be happening in the first place, but the fact that Reggie goaded Archie to the point that he was, you know, willing to put his beloved car up. It's just a win for Reggie, but see what happens is, Betty finds out about the race later, and she's racing up the hill to try and to try and save Archie, while at the same time, Reggie and Archie are racing down the hill, and they collide. They collide with Veronica, and you do not know what is going to happen. The the end of the first issue, they have like a small graphic with Archie's head, Reggie's head, Betty's head, and they tell you something is going to change. And they have they have Archie crossed out, so you know it's going to be one of the other characters. And one has to wonder, would they be would they be callous enough to, for example, have 
have Betty Cooper, you know, lose lose her arm or to have Reggie uh, suffer a horrific spinal injury. I don't know, man. Archie, Archie has gone to some length in the past, so who knows what will happen? And I myself am eagerly awaiting the the next episode. It's called Over the Edge. If if you're not reading Archie comics, I highly recommend them. The the entire time that I was in the comics, there was always like this this undercurrent of people who felt like, you know, I like superheroes and stuff, but I think it would be cool if there were more comics about like real happenings, like people's lives and about things that things that happen to us, like real people. And I I look at it and I go, you know, there was always Archie. And I am taking that, and I've gotten into Archie. I'm digging it. I read Archie, I read Reggie, and I read Betty and Veronica, even though even though it does not come out all that often. They did two issues, and then it feels to me like four months or so since the next one, but I was talking to uh, Tatiana over at Comics for the Win, and she said it's coming out next week, so I'm looking forward to that, but I'll also believe it when I see it. If you haven't heard it yet, episode 309 of Geekfest Rants has a terrific piece on Star Wars laser discs. As you know, I am a bit of a laser disc collector myself and I I think there's not enough laser disc talk in the world of a uh, internet audio. So I was happy that I was happy that Carlos hit on that topic and I thought it was I thought it was a really thorough, well put together piece. So if you haven't heard issue episode rather 309, I recommend I recommend hopping over there and checking it out. Also, the last episode of the Mr. Sensational Gino Vega podcast about his days in Bennett Valley, they were terrific, but there is one thing that Bro didn't touch upon that I felt was very important. Now, he did say in the show that the Icy Robots Earth base is located in a neighborhood called Rinkin Valley, and he grew up in a neighborhood called Bennett Valley. He did not bring up at all the fact that there is there's a pretty hardcore rivalry between uh, Bennett and Rinkin Valley. We... We think that we are better than them in every way, and they they also feel the same. As I as I understand it, they have they have a name. They say Stinkin' Rinkin'. We we don't have a name for them because, as far as I can imagine, there isn't anything that rhymes with Bennett that is all that deprecating. But I don't know, man. As long as I have been around, there has been this just this feeling that Bennett Valley people are not quite as good as us Rinkin Valleyans, and it is just something that I something that I feel in my heart. But you know, over time, Mister Sensational has moved away from Bennett Valley, so he is no longer tainted with that stink. I'm just playing. He's all right. He's a great guy, and it was a it was a great episode. But uh. At any rate, man, I think that I think that I'm going to get up out of here. Is there anything else that I have on my notes that I didn't touch on? I don't think so. Let's see. Oh, this was this was something on the last episode, the Tales from the Dig episode of the Toys R Us report. I talked about how the how the cannibal gave me advice, you know, to like hit up the zippers of jackets and whatever. I I mentioned that to the old wife, and while we were over there on a Monday poking around, she she saw a jacket that had a zipper pocket, and she's like, eh. I'm just going to give it a shot. And she zipped it up and stuck her hand in there. And she pulled out $38 in $2 bills. So that was dope. And who has that many $2 bills? It's really weird to even see one. They they look like they are counterfeit. Like they are so irregular and so unexpected that it's, it's just hard to believe that they're real. But at any rate, we followed the advice of the cannibal and it paid off, man. We went... 
We went and we had some Hawaiian barbecue afterwards on whoever lost that money in a jacket pocket. I I don't feel that much sympathy for it. If you're going to donate something to the Goodwill, you really got to check first to make sure all the pockets are empty. It's it's on you, you know, if you're hasty and just hurled the stuff out of your closet. I, I do feel a bit bad that you lost it, but at the same time, you know, it was an easy avoidable must stalk so that's it for me make sure to uh, hit us up on patreon that's that's something that's becoming more and more necessary every week we we got to get the patreon funds up for as little as a dollar a month you can you can help us out in a big way just hop on over to support the report if you're a big fan you like the show you think i bring some happiness to you just consider helping us out a little as a dollar a month over on supportthereport.com there is there is a butt-ton of premium content. There's a few episodes of a show I do called Real Wisdom, where we talk about the day-to-day learnings one can make from the movies. There's like 15 episodes of a mixtape show that I used to do back in the Ferg that has tons of great hip-hop tunes, as well as early appearances from Iceberg and Emily. It's an interesting look into their past when they when they worked together on a long-range freighter ship. That there... That there is worth a dollar a month. So go to supportthereport.com. Hit us up on Facebook. That is facebook.com backslash Icy Robots. Twitter, at Icy Robots. Go over to Instagram, at Icy Robots. I'm digging that. I think I I think I think post some fun pics, and I think that you will you will enjoy it. So for me, Engineer Emily, Iceberg, the 1-3, we are signing off episode number 121. If you don't know, now you know. This has been an IC Robots Radio production. IC Robots Radio is a listener-supported indie If you like what we do and we make your day a little easier, please consider tossing a few bucks our way to help keep the life support running. All money collected goes to help us prepare for future space pirate attacks. Go on over to supportthereport.com for all the details. Thanks and have a great week.